On this episode of Movies Ruin My Life, I'm sick and Danny thinks everyone's stealing his ideas. It's Paul Thomas Anderson. This is Jessica. This is Danny. Hello. Uh, Devin is off screen. Hello. And I'm Brandon. And this is uh, this is our Paul Thomas Anderson episode. This is the Parent Teacher Association. Yeah. PTA. PTA. And we're going to use the hashtag. Uh, is it Mermel PTA, Devin, or is it? Yes, it is. It's Mermel PTA. Mermel PTA. <clears throat> so for. Uh, yeah. This is going to be the second episode that we've done where we're specifically discussing one director's work. And we did bring up PTA a little bit in the Tarantino episode. We talked about, obviously, the music selection. Um, th- there's so many staples of this guy's work, but I, I'd like to kind of start off, um, intro it, I guess, with, with favorites. I, I, you know, we've been starting off a lot of these episodes very negative. I, I don't know if that's cool with everyone if we, for once, just be real positive. I'm trying to keep the swearing to a minimum, too, as well today, because I swore a lot. The day that we did the Tarantino, I we had done three episodes that day. and well, I, It was the Tarantino episode. Yeah, so it's okay. Swearing it's a okay. lot. Swearing a lot, yeah. <clears throat> so I'm going to keep it to a minimum today. Probably. Um, yeah, let's go around the table. Let's do our favorites. Jessica, what's what's your favorite? Tell me a little bit about it. Tell me about your first experience with it. And and uh, this is getting a little too interview formatty. So let's let's get into talking. Um, probably Boogie Nights, which mm. is probably what everyone's going to say at this table. But whatever. Mm. I think I first saw it when I was a teenager, and it was on television. And I had to keep changing the channel when my mom came downstairs because <laughs> she would not want me watching the movie. So I watched like two thirds of it in secret and I was just like, what the fuck? And I was just getting into like 70s shit. Yeah. And I'd only known Heather Graham from like Austin Powers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Same. Same. Um, yeah. I now, Danny, this is your favorite as well, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, I love all of them, but this one is just, oh God, it's such a goddamn masterpiece. We were talking a little bit before we um, started recording about, um, the female performances in this film. Oh God, yeah, yeah. Uh, specifically, um, Julianne Moore. Yeah, she's um, unbelievable. Particularly, this film and Lebowski um, are probably my favorite. Yeah, I mean hers. her like repressed rage and vulnerability in the scene with the judge and her ex husband. Yeah. Oh my God, compared to the coked out scene with Heather Graham, where they're talking, doing a mother daughter dynamic. Oh, I know. <laughs> That's such, it's it's uh, creepy, but it's it's heartwarming at the same time. Just like <laughs> just like her first scene with Dirk. Yeah. It's yeah. Creepy. She's like his mom, and then she's like, "Come and me," and you're like, "What the." F- when I watched it with <laughs> you, Jess, you you thought it was hilarious that the way she was giving direction, like. Come on my tits if you can. <laughs> you know, like very but then it becomes such a lovely encounter that he just I guess finishes inside her because it's like it's almost loving. Yeah. yeah. And so it's creepy but it's loving just like the coked out scene with Heather Graham. There's yeah. something and only I wouldn't say only she could pull it off, but the way she pulls it off, I wouldn't want to see any other actor in there, actress. Absolutely. I think that's the only Heather Graham role, other than like drugstore cowboy, that mm. she's like serious. 
Yeah. And seriously good. Seriously good. Like that yeah. scene where she stomps the fuck out of that guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, what exactly holy what I was thinking shit. of. It's like I was, didn't what? know she was capable of such yeah. depth. Yeah. The anger and the Well the whole time she's just skating around and like la 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 I'm like I fuck people for money and yeah. I, <laughs> I don't want to point like, out only wear roller skates. I don't want to point out something if it's too obvious, but that's the same guy who smirks at her in the classroom at the beginning. Yeah, that's of the, the whole movie. point. Right. Yeah. Right. A lot of people don't know that, but the I people who do that. go, yeah. Of course. Well, yeah. Yeah. He yeah. smirks. I didn't, at, I didn't notice that. He smirks well, yeah, at her he in the says classroom. It. He says okay. it in the in and the limo. She gets up on her rollerblades and just rollerblades out of class. Mm. And you think it seems to me she's dropping out in that moment. Yeah, she that's the moment she drops out. Yeah. So one other thing I want to mention about Boogie Nights uh, in terms of knowledge, um, I don't know how many of our listeners have watched it all the way to the very very end when the credits are over. If you haven't done that, I suggest doing it. Not because there's any video, but there's a piece of audio there that kind of changes the story if you're willing to sit through the credits. So just do that if you haven't. All the very, very end of the movie. I won't ruin it. I, yeah. I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I was going to spoiler alert. <laughs> um, I did want to bring up with this film... It, my favorite thing about Boogie Nights... Uh, which actually isn't my favorite. I'm, I'll I'll get to that in a minute. Um, I I I love the kind of the the underlying uh, unconventional family. Um, yes, at, uh, energy about it, and also the idea of finding home wherever you go. Um, those are two things that that are very important, and and you know, as musicians, very important to to us because you know we spend many a day sleeping on other people's couches and you know, floors and basements of venues and whatnot. And I, I, there's something so special, like the, 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 from the very first second that you see Dirk and he's washing dishes and, um, but, and he's very respectful and, uh, you know, he, he doesn't want to screw the club owner who is Luis Guzman, but I can't think of his name in that movie. Mm, I can't Um, think of it either. But in any case, um, uh, he doesn't want to screw him over, he, you know. He and it, it, there's this sense of loyalty, and then that that blossoms into this. Um, it, it's a safe place, you know. It seems like to outsiders, to people like you know, people who are more grounded, they look at those scenes in the clubs and they think, okay, well, this is a bunch of shady people, you know, partying, doing shady things. But for all those people in those scenes, that's them going home in a lot of ways, and I, I think that's really interesting. Devin, did you want to jump in on this Boogie Nights thing? Because you're on the same train. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the only one I've seen enough to really talk um, talk a whole lot about. Um, I am definitely going to go back through his catalog because I know there's a lot of uh, great stuff there. But Boogie Nights is is the first one that I saw of his and, and um, definitely my favorite. It's uh, like I love uh, um, like I, I, every single performance uh, in that movie is just amazing. Uh, John C. Riley is is fantastic in that movie. When when you get him in a oh, he's amazing. He's okay. amazing in every PTA like, film. I I mean he's he's um like he's like I I don't know whether I would say that this is like a really comedic role. Like it, he's kind of the the. He's the, the goof. Yeah, he is. Mm-hmm. He is the goof of it. But at the same time, it's like it's such like um uh like a, a you know believable character that you identify with and and you know kind of really feel 
feel like you know if you you really feel for i i thought like almost even more than than dirk like yeah absolutely because he's he's not as as like um you know he's less cognizant of of um he's a bit of a lovable dolt yeah yeah, yeah. i really uh i loved his character the, in the movie the um, music scenes are amazing when yeah. he's playing oh, that flying V. Yes. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that because, okay, in lesser hands, uh, Chest Rockwell or whoever we, yes. we want to call him would be cartoonish. But there's mm. a part at that at the end of that music scene when they can't pay for their audio sessions. Yeah. And John C. Riley is coked out of his mind and arguing their case. And he's like, we have to take this to the record company so we can get paid. And they yeah, say yeah, no. And yeah. then he's like, well, the magic that's on those tapes, that's ours. And you can't have it. And <laughs> he really believes that. He oh, believes what he's saying. Yeah. So he's going along with Dirk as his, like, hapless sidekick past the porno industry into this horrible music career. Like, what, is, what is the name of that I song? Although I love that John C. Rowley is you've actually... You've got the stuff? You've, you've got, got the touch. You've got, you've the, got touch. the touch! <laughs> yeah. And I love that the other song that they're writing, after that, he's actually playing. Yeah. He's straight up yeah, playing. Feel, 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 feel my love. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the little lick he throws into it, so... It's just... It's beautiful. It's an amazing scene. I love all those moments. Right. And the fact that he wants to be a mag- magician, that would be cartoony too, but it's somehow not. It yeah. makes it more sad. And you're so happy when he finds a way at the end to kind of amalgamate his his uh his, you know, adult film career and his love for magic into one <laughs> yeah, thing. <laughs> yeah. We want to see him succeed, and that's a testament to the humanity of his character. Yeah. He's so sincere. It makes you so sad. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, are, are we going to come back to Boogie Nights? Because if if not, I'd like to touch no. on a few things. Yeah, let's say a couple more things about it. Let's get it okay. all out there. All of it. Okay. I want to talk about uh, the scene. You guys already kind of touched on it, I think. We may have talked about it off air. I'm kind of blurring a little bit here. I'm a little bit hopped up on some cold medication. So um, it just makes the episode more fun, though. Um the scene when he leaves the 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 drug deal gone bad, mm-hmm. and they're running uh, away, and they're trying to get into the car, and John C. Riley takes off into the into the grass, <laughs> and the car is rolling. <laughs> yeah, and um, <clears throat> and Dirk's getting into getting into the car to get away uh, before he gets shot. Mm. One thing that I find about that film, I, I feel as though the music in that scene would be completely different if it was shot by uh paul thomas anderson today and what i mean is that the the what we very much like what we talked about in the um uh the tarantino episode when we talked about paul thomas anderson and his use of music compared to tarantino's we i said you guys didn't say i said i felt it was it was used much more often as an emotive tool mm-hmm. than a, a universe building tool and and that scene is a is a clear-cut example of that where the the music continues out of the house and you follow that music. Mm-hmm. And then I can't remember if when he gets in the car if the music changes when the he actually starts the car or if it uh if it cuts away and then comes back to that and the music has changed. But in any case, I would have loved to have seen seen that scene completely stark, silent, no music and then much like PTA would very much do nowadays, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. him get into the car and have that uncharacteristic music come on the radio and scare the shit out of Dirk, you know? Right. I, Is the song still that Motorin song? Yeah. As they leave the house? As oh. they leave the house. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yes! 
Yeah. I have no problem with the musical choice. I think it's great. <laughs> I just think that that scene would have played completely different and been much more like if it was stark silence, it would have been so much more emotional because I was never really in fear for them in that scene. It was it was a comical moment for me. And I don't uh, I, it's one I of the, feared for their safety, but yeah, it was so outrageously yeah, like dreamlike. Exactly, very exactly. To, yeah, and 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 obviously it 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 escalates and escalates and escalates. Uh, you know, with the shootout and 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 so forth, being the crescendo, uh, and then the escape being you know the kind of uh, um, the release of all that tension to, to a certain extent. But I still I would have liked if they had kind of left it. Uh, I, I would have loved to have that break where there's stark silence. They they escape and then and then when he finally gets the car started, because then the, the it also acts to the audience as like a little bit of a glimmer of hope. Like okay, maybe he's gonna fucking get away mm-hmm. because you hear the radio come on, you know. But uh, no, that's an excellent point, and it shows an awareness of his latter. Because I mean, <clears throat> Paul Thomas Anderson is getting starker and starker. Exactly. Starting with there will be blood. He's really relying, which less is my less favorite music, which no, we're gonna get great. to. I, that's a very close second. Right? It's yeah. a very close. Very close. But <laughs> one thing that he does use silence to great effect in the next scene. So it cuts to Dirk pushing yes, a shitty car, and then the, car. the great scene where he goes back to Jackson and asks for forgiveness. Yes. What's great about that? What's so great about that is you don't see Jack's face. Mm. You just see Dirk begging for forgiveness, and you're like, "Is he going to take him back? Is he going?" And then they hug. Yeah, but it it's is a problem, so and I'm sorry that I'm I'm hanging on the music because there's so many other things to to get into with this director um particularly like his his lighting work and we'll, we'll talk about that because wow mm-hmm. <laughs> just yeah. the best the best working today in my opinion maybe well i, I i'm not gonna go into others we always do that and it's, it sounds ridiculous <laughs> yeah. but um yeah I, I i just feel as though as he progresses through through all his films, like Hard Eight was a hard film for me to listen to, if that makes any sense, um, it, it, because I, I I felt like it was over over overly scored. Like they were leaning, they did maybe he didn't trust himself enough in what he was presenting visually, which was stunning. Mm. Um, to you know, to kind of back off some of the the musical cues that he was using. Um, the same thing can be said. I feel in some scenes in Boogie Nights, which obviously I've already expressed. Um, and then, did Hard Eight have those beats or not beats like bells? Yeah, or that like whatever the bell tolling like constantly. I can't remember now. N- no, what uh, or is that? What I was more referring to oh, was yeah. just the um, say, for example, um, uh, he uses it a lot when he's introducing characters, like when you first meet Gwyneth Paltrow in Hard Eight. Um, uh, the, the, the scene is, uh, he uses the music, uh, as, as kind of, uh, uh, painting the, the, the scene a little bit more. Um, he uses it, um, in a lot of one-on-one conversations more so than he does nowadays. He's, he's much more trustworthy with his dialogue, I feel nowadays. Um, and he shouldn't have been, you know, maybe I'm reading into it too much. Maybe I'm an insecure person and I'm looking subsequently for insecure things in, in, in this filmmaker being like, I can relate to him being insecure, <laughs> but 
No, man, I think you're on there. Like, Heart Eight is very much a first film, and yeah. there's nothing brilliant about it. It's just a good film. Yeah, exactly. I mean, something he would never do now is there's a part where he's in the car. John C. Riley's in the car with Philip Baker Hall's character, and he's talking about how he uses matches. He doesn't how like lighters. How shot is beautiful, though. He doesn't use lighters because one time he was standing in line at the movies, and his lighter went off yeah, his pocket. Yeah, yeah, and they actually cut to then it. Then it cuts to it and yeah. shows you it. That's really he, bizarre. He would never he do would that. He would never do that. He'd no, he just, would let you think it. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's a very young man making a young man's movie. It's yeah. still a good movie. It's very good just, movie, yeah. So, yeah. I agree with what you're saying, and I think, yeah, the, that music, over-reliance on music, reaches its logical conclusion in Magnolia. That horrible scene where everyone starts singing, hold yeah. on, or whatever. Yeah. I despise that. And he says now that he would have taken it out. Yes. So that just emphasizes your point. Yeah. I, I think and I think that was the breaking point for him I think so you know where he, he you know uh, he, when you look at, at his fall of was punch drunk love yeah yes and and that film is very uh, stark musically it does have a you know a thematic score which I love um, and he completely trusts himself visually he's got just what we what I was just alluding to with some of the best lighting uh, of that era, you know, or of that era it was like of the two thousand two era. Yeah, uh, well, of the early two thousands, you know, no, uh, of that of that decade, I'll say, you know, it. Um, that shot when they're in the hotel, when he goes to Hawaii to see her, and they first have that that warm embrace and there's the people moving behind them and they're backlit. Yeah. And even the scene yeah. before when he's on the telephone and then also, you know, in contrast to when, for example, he goes to D and D mattress man and it very much looks like suburban mattress store, mm. his use of lighting in those situations, he's able to do what <clears throat> a lot of people pat, uh, say, for example, the Wachowskis on the back for for like, oh, okay. When we're in the real world, in the Matrix, it's blue, and when we're in the or in it's, and then when it, we're in the Matrix, it's green. Mm-hmm. But uh, PTA is able to just do that by just putting you in something you've literally seen before. Yeah. Oh, okay. I understand what I'm supposed to be experiencing. This moment is surreal because I can experience beauty and I understand that it's it's a heightened emotional moment. Um so again like the 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 music doesn't need to be there because what you're seeing is so visually overwhelming you understand the emotion of the scene and then conversely if it is supposed to be kind of you know dull and depressing he's able to light and and use his compositions in that fashion which is you know really re- it's it's amazing. He that's that's my favorite thing about him. He's the best at it. Period. Like working today, you know, uh Spielberg doesn't even have that. You know, no, seriously. Like Spielberg is I honestly believe I think he's the greatest working director in present day. St- what? Still. Still. PTA or Spielberg? Spielberg. I still believe that that he can if you give him any film he can he can make a quality film whereas I don't feel you can give any director any film and they can make a quality film. That's a fair point. Yeah, fair and point. and so you know, for I, I, I but I want to be clear that that he can get nowhere close to his visual <laughs> compositions yeah. at, to you know this you know basically film startup from the what San Fernando Valley. Yeah, is that where he's from? Paul Thomas he Anderson. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So like this this guy, he just he understands the visuals of film so 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 in intensely and so 
it, it, I don't know. You you can't help but get overwhelmed by what you're seeing. And maybe that's why I, I, I look at his older stuff and go, the music is bothering me because I just want to see what's there. I just want to like mute it and be like, ooh, ah, this is amazing. Yeah. I don't know. But he, I think he hits the right balance in Boogie Nights, which is yes. easily, yeah, he's his very, most, very... easily his most mainstream film. Because, right, it hits the proper disco touchstones, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then in the 80s, you start to hear the music change. Mm-hmm. And I guess the lighting there, I mean, in the 70s, it's kind of like what you were saying with the temporary family thing. The little mm-hmm. family, ad hoc family Jack Horner has set up, that's kind of connected to the larger happiness of the 70s because paul thomas anderson thinks that like porno really changed when it went to video not just the way it looked but the spirit of it i think the industry feels that that as well as he preferred porno where it was people having sex and it seemed like they were having sex and there was hair and sweat and and all that gross shit and then when it just became you know some guy pounding away with a big close-up on a you know swinging ball sack it's just like (laughs) It becomes a lot more that's about... That's when porn changed. Yeah, well, yeah, it becomes a lot more transactional, right? And, I mean, yeah. you see that in that guy who replaces Dirk. I forgot his name. Um, he gets into a shoving match with him. At, yeah, at I, I know what you're talking about. And he's mad because he can't get a hard-on? Yeah. He's like, you're not an actor. Yeah. Dirk really does care about his acting performances in these movies. Yeah. They all do. He, they all think of them as, like, real right. films the whole time because it requires as much... Because it has to be on film, it requires the same amount of yeah, stuff. What's that the name a real of the character? Um, who he's into country? The black guy. Uh, he can't get along. Oh, with Don, the Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle's character. So they won't give him Isn't a loan, he, yeah. and yeah. he stands up indignantly. I'm an actor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, but you also, you know, I love have sex. Meanwhile, he's there with like his other porn star <laughs> girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, is she? Is she a porn star or is oh, she, she was. kind of dirt living? I believe she was a porn star and then quit when she got pregnant. Mm. I think. Yeah. 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 Do you blame okay. him for taking that bag of money? I don't. No. No. I don't either. <laughs> <No. laughs> Devin. All right. It's unanimous. Don Cheadle takes the money. Yeah. I Don, mean, Cheadle, Don Cheadle can have whatever he wants. Yeah. This guy, in all seriousness, you know, um, he he is he is amazing, and it's taken Hollywood another decade after this film came out to realize how amazing oh, yeah. this guy is. Don yeah, absolutely. yeah. Oh yeah, Don Cheadle's amazing. Let's put him in everything. Yes, I know. I've been saying that since I was 15 years old. Yeah, <laughs> and like Chest Rockwell, he has this overriding personal obsession with country music. I mean. He gets made fun of at parties because he dresses like a buckaroo, and he got fired from that stereo store because he's <laughs> he's trying to show a guy how great the bass sounds with a country with song. a country song. <laughs> yeah, but like John C. Riley's character, he's like his goofiness. He turns it or he just makes that his gimmick, and that like that's his passion. He's like, I'm the fucking cowboy stereo salesman. Yeah. In the end. Yeah, he opens a store. He right? opens a store, and then he ad. dresses yeah. up like a cowboy. Yeah, yeah, he gets yeah. to be himself, and that's his thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and they shoot a music video that, <laughs> um, you know, the whole family gets in on. I love it. It's amazing. It's great. And so, like, like they're early... literally just supporting each other's artistic endeavors like a family yeah, would. Yeah, 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 exactly. So early in the film, there's a lot of sunlight scenes, like that famous, you know, swimming pool scene where the camera goes in and out. And then later in the movie, a lot of the encounters that are uncomfortable like when philip seymour hoffman's character comes on to mark Wahlberg's, that's shot at night the shootouts at night and there's an increasing amount of close-ups as things Mm -hmm. get more claustrophobic Mm -hmm. and all of these things are i mean he's so fluent in the language of film you don't even realize what he's doing no 
until way later, until yeah. you've seen it 18 times. He's much like, more subtle than than a lot of um, the quote-unquote, you know, Gen X directors. So subtle. Yeah. Particularly now, like mm-hmm. you're saying. I mean, he's really a director's director because there are a lot of people who do not like him. They think he's too highfalutin and... I mean, I've been reading YouTube comment sections lately, and what people seem to agree on, which I don't really agree with, is that Paul Thomas Anderson is equipped with greater talent than Tarantino. He's the better filmmaker than Tarantino, yet he does not make better films. Yeah. That's an interesting viewpoint. I don't necessarily agree with it. Well, I think that's a byproduct of fanboy culture, though. That's the thing, because, you know, in all seriousness, Tarantino is a director that, say, for example, someone like a Kevin Smith would love his films because he is in many a ways that that like um uh Jason Lee's character in Mallrats very much he it's like Tarantino in many ways is almost like that he's just this you know angry suburban kid that got to make you know got to make his dream come true and and subsequently he's just like hey this is cool I'm gonna put that out there you think that I'm worth nothing well here it is and and subsequently it's built on that and, and now become a you know yeah a, a true artist but even like what we were talking about with him, it, it very much feels like he still does just, I think this is cool. You know, I'm mm-hmm. going to use this as a jump off point for something. Um, so you get a lot of um, uh, emotional payoff because you almost recognize what Tarantino is doing. Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, at, at, whereas Walt Thomas Anderson in a lot of ways to me very much feels like, like you said, you know, um, like the difference between the two of them, he, he almost seems like he, you know, it's very, it's very suitable that he adapted a Thomas Pinchon novel because he very much is almost like the Thomas Pinchon of, of film in a lot of ways in the sense that you either you you adore his work and you you follow it very very closely, or if you happen to come across it, you might read it. You know? Right, right. I, so I feel like Boogie Night. He was compared to Tarantino because it was a young wonderkind, out of the same because era. Same, same era. Uh, yeah. And Boogie Nights had the jubilation and energy, especially mm. the crime sections of yeah. a Tarantino. And one more thing, he was responsible for reviving the career of an almost forgotten actor, yeah, beloved Burt Reynolds. Right? And also, like you were saying off air, the um, the the kind of. Um, cash of of actors like the pool of actors that he continues to draw from yes, over repeatedly yeah. repeatedly right we have a list in front of us right his, mm. his repeating players obviously philip seymour hoffman but also yeah. philip baker hall yeah who's amazing he was great in magnolia actually which i yeah. didn't like that much but he was great i still don't understand uh, Julianne uh, is Moore. is him not knowing if he molested his own daughter the byproduct of his disease or or is she crazy? Or, like, is she unstable? Like, I- I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it not being explained. It would be really ridiculous if they just stopped the movie and went, okay, now here's what you're supposed to think yeah, yeah, yeah. about these scenes. But I think he molested her when he was lucid. Now he's losing his mind and starts and to regret it. subsequently, yes, exactly. And well, no, he, he doesn't know. Or at least he alludes to his wife. So either he's lying to his wife yeah. or or because he's, as you said, not completely lucid now, yeah. he's... um he's legitimately forgotten is just trying he knows the relationship is is tattered and and torn with his daughter and subsequently is trying to mend that yeah yeah before his passing which if he molested her he probably doesn't have much you know chance i think he burns to death off screen his tv catches on fire at the end right yeah yeah Okay, so we and, don't and see he it. dies alone which is interesting but it also doesn't seem like it really matters because he doesn't like he's he has a degenerative brain disease, correct? Right. So he is alone. Right. Yeah, yeah he is he's alone. alone regardless. He's trapped in his mind. So he's both 
he's both literally and and figuratively alone, so it's inconsequential to me. Just, so one of the, just another just reason heard a why bunch that of people movie around him. That movie's so hard yeah. to like because you well, don't care about so many of the characters. And the people that you do care about seem to get zero retribution, like the the, the daughter, the kid who pisses his pants. The like, I love the kid who pisses I his know, pants. He's That's amazing. probably the Tom, only Tom thing. Tom Cruise's li- pickup artist. He gets closure. So many yes. other people don't. <laughs> like what the hell? <laughs> John C. Riley gets a little bit of closure per se. He um, insisted on that role. He was so tired oh, of playing low lives. He was like, "You have to give me a good person." But you know, I want to be a good guy. Yeah, you know something I read though is that um, the character was kind of loosely written around a a bit that John C. Riley would do, where That's he would right. be a goofy cop, yeah. the and, kind of cop who forgets his own gun. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and and, yeah. and subsequently, the, the I keep saying subsequently because I'm so tired. So subsequently, I, subsequently, yeah. The subsequent script was subsequently <laughs> penned. Based on the subsequent sketch that he wrote. All right, let's each have one more point about Boogie Nights because it's the kind of <laughs> yeah, thing Yeah, I want to talk about There Will Be Blood. Like, what the hell? You guys all get to talk about your favorite movie. So with Boogie Nights, I think I don't have much of another point except for that. I think all of PTA's movies, to some extent, are about sympathizing with monsters, right? So let me just go through it. All right, so in Heart 8... Sydney's a criminal, kills John C. Riley's dad, feels bad, and adopts him as his son. Mm-hmm. Or he's humanized that way. Boogie Nights, Jack Horner's a bit of a dirty pornographer, mm-hmm. say some people. And he's we get to see another side of him. Same with Magnolia, they humanize Tom Cruise's pickup artist. Punk Shrunk Love, it's Hoffman's con man, who seems a bit more complicated than your average con man. And obviously there will be blood. Like I was, I couldn't have been the only one who was rooting for Daniel Plain. Yeah, I just oh. wanted that guy to get richer and richer and richer. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Like, he deserves it. He's a hardworking guy. He is a hardworking guy. And he's I believe BTOs. in plain speaking. I'd like to buy your farm and your daughter and everything. I don't think I agree with you as yeah. hard on that. Well, no, I wasn't but, really rooting. You know the the only the only reason that I love Daniel Plainview, there's one scene where he. Uh, he's sitting at the table with the some of the locals, and he's sitting with the girl that you're alluding to, uh, the the father. Yeah. And he st- he stops the girl, and he he tells her, you know, uh, your your daddy's not going to hit you anymore. In front right? of the dad. Right yeah. In front of the dad. <laughs> no and, more hitting. Yeah. Now, go on, get out of here. Go and play. <laughs> yes. <a> sip <laughs> of his drink. And he turns to, and he just turns and stares the the father down. Stares at him, then smirks, then takes a drink. Yes. It's awesome. It's it, it, awesome. <laughs> he just doesn't care. Yeah. And and in that moment you you have essentially this this you know man who's uh you know scoffing at religion. He's um you know he's a capitalist uh you know monster mm-hmm. and in this moment he still just knows it's wrong to it's beat wrong children. To beat yeah. children. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like that you know. Yeah. Even, even I know yeah. this Christian family here yeah. beats their friggin daughter exactly and you but you have and and that's that's it right there even i know he he has he has this child that he's he's realized you know obviously probably when he took the child initially he he was just like well there's a child here so put it on the train with me but you know i'm sure there was obviously he he does grow emotionally attached in the way that he can yes yeah i agree it's um, not just a pretty face like he says yeah when he's angry but he also does see the value in being a family company absolutely and he understands the aesthetic of that so that scene uh because you clearly see and you know that the kid's not his so because you clearly see that he 
is playing the family angle in his business dealings. Mm -hmm. That moment when he stops that little girl and does the whole exchange, I'm immediately on his side. Right. I'm immediately like, fuck everyone in this fucking town and their child-beating ways. Yeah, yeah. Is that that before? His son isn't deaf by that point, right? No, not just yet. before okay. the son is. Okay, deafened. so then yeah. I would say like that scene. I'm like, yeah, I'm on your side. And then, but then when his son goes deaf, you see the emotional connection, like the f- concern in his face, like holy shit, my yeah. son. Mm-hmm. But then, well, he puts him on. He leaves him immediately. Like yes, that he runs to save him, and I'm like, he no. gets him, and we have our hero shot. You know, he's yeah. running across the field with his boy in his arms, then puts him down, runs over, and says to his coworker. You know, what are you looking at like that? You know, there's a whole oil of ocean, yeah, ocean of oil under there. No one can get it except for me. And so the whole daughter scene for me was like the previous thing. I was just totally lost on me. I was like, no, no. I I disagree. I disagree because even when he sends his son away, like for for me, that that doesn't make him any more or less human. That makes him more human because he's still battling with his inherent, um, you know, greed. Human, yes, but me on his side. No. Uh, but my understanding for him elevated because it's no different than like, okay, say for example, um, you know, you have a family member who needs to, I don't know, um, borrow something or needs to see you on a particular day and you're running five minutes behind or something like that. And they're texting you and texting you and texting you and you just stop answering. Mm. You know, in my mind, that's the the capitalist equivalent of that and that it's like this deaf kid keeps getting in my way getting in my way getting in my way and sub- you know it subsequently mm-hmm. <laughs> um and and so that's frustrating him and so he 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 pushes the child away and then obviously tries to use the uh the the fake brother as a surrogate yeah. for the child and finds no um you know, solace in that, and and even you see the the angry exchange when when the kid comes back and you know like it hits him. him, yeah, <clears throat> and he doesn't retaliate, and uh, and then he continues to raise him and so forth until that scene at the end where he's a bitter old man, and you know, so I. Yeah, so yeah. I didn't mean I'm rooting for. No, I don't support his business practices or his endeavors, but he's so undeniably yeah. charismatic, and I don't, I don't need to have him redeem himself. I want him to die alone on his piles of money. Right, right, <laughs> and no, like I, that's exactly what I want. Yeah. That's so what like, happens? I mean, some people said they felt cheated by that ending. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Oh, that whole scene. Like, why did the, his son just keep siphoning off its? No. The bowling pin? Yeah, with the bowling Jesus. Pin. <laughs> I mean, that is violent shit. Extremely. <laughs> but uh, like you were saying, I yeah, he really uses that son effectively. There's a part where he's trying to buy a farm and yep. the family's wavering. That's the family. And the wife says, oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. She's like, pardon me, sir, but where's your wife? Well, she died in childbirth. It's just me and HW now. You know, like, mm-hmm. poor me, but I'm soldiering on and I didn't remarry. You yes. can sell your farm to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brilliant businessman, but yeah, a terrible, terrible person. Yeah, which is fine because, again, it's a character study. The whole film is a character study. It's not, you know, you're not learning about the, you know, the oil business. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're, you're, you're watching a despicable, sorry, a despicable capitalist um, and, and the struggles, uh, you know, of balancing greed and 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 purpose or or you know the search for purpose 
with the the need for for family or something of that nature or the need for um friends and so forth obviously you know yeah yeah and for all the subtlety that pta is lauded for sometimes he can be really blatant right? oh, like yeah. in boogie nights when that guy uh um who kills his wife who kills his wife? When William oh, H. Macy William kills H. his Macy, wife, yeah. it's New Year's Eve 1979, right? Yeah. The 70s are over. Now it's the big bad 80s with HIV mm. and cocaine. Yep. It's just like night and day. Mm-hmm. And so then in There Will Be Blood, it's like, oh, God, what was I going to say? He just drops the fucking uh, <laughs> drilling thing on the on the real dad just yeah, two this... seconds into the film. It's like, welcome to the movie, dead guy. <laughs> yeah. And then he does it again later because everyone the first time was like, that was awesome. Yeah. So they, and also... The oh, other... yeah, wait, no, hang on. So subtlety, hang on. What was I going to say is... Um, it's like a subtle film, except for the fact that Daniel Plainview at one point completely explains himself. Yeah. He's hammered there sitting with his brother, and he says, you know, I have a competition in me. Mm-hmm. I can't stand to see others succeed. Yeah. And that's just kind of who I am. Yeah. <laughs> the brother's like, well, thank you for telling the viewers that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other thing that's great about There Will Be Blood is that no one ever remembers that the first almost 20 minutes of that film... There's no silent, dialogue. Completely silent. There's no dialogue. No one ever, maybe they remember it, but they don't ever talk about that to me. They always just, they, you know, they're quoting lines from the film. They're, you know, they, they talk about all the same things we're talking about, but they don't, uh, they don't ever remember that you literally sit there with no dialogue for 20 minutes and you you cannot turn away. Yeah, first yeah, you're so him, engrossed. I'd, first he's mining I didn't realize it was gold 20 or yeah, silver. Just, I thought it was like five minutes. Is it silver yeah. or gold he's at mining No, at it's very long. It's 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 15 minutes, I yeah, think. Yeah, it's... I, I, yeah, like somewhere... I, I feel like it's a 13 or a 17 or something. I actually timed it yeah. the last time I watched it because I... I <laughs> I made this point with someone off air. It's over 10 minutes for sure. So Tarantino, there's a clip on YouTube of him talking about this movie and specifically that beginning. And so you see him mining for silver or gold. I don't know. Some mineral. Yeah. Is gold a mineral? I'm stupid. Yep. Anyway, so he breaks his leg and we see that and he drags himself up and then the camera sort of widens and we see this landscape he has Mm -hmm. to crawl over. Mm -hmm. And so Tarantino is of the mind that... Um, as much of a bastard as this man is and what he goes on to do, the fact that he dragged himself across that landscape back to town to get a splint almost gives him the heroic right to do whatever the hell he wants. Yeah. <laughs> so what he goes on to do, it's pretty much like he's earned it because a lot of people would have just died out there in that yep. desert completely alone. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the pre-cell phone era being 1897. So, <laughs> Yeah. That would well, suck. What else about There Will Be Blood? Something that was explained to me... And I still don't know if this is okay. Paul, you know, he's only one person. There's no other brother. No, no, no. There's two brothers. There's two brothers. There's two brothers. It was explained to me by somebody. This is the theory that there isn't two brothers. It's him. He's play acting when he's doing the preacher thing, and when he went to visit Daniel Play Plainview. No, but they even the the brother alludes in a completely separate from everyone else. Yeah. He alludes to his piece of shit brother. Like there's a scene where he's like, "Oh, that you you must." But the family never you, mentions you the other to... son. Maybe it's a valid argument. They're thinking the thinking goes that Paul Dano is he's only, there's only one brother, mm. and as evidenced by the fact that at the end the priest all he really wants is money. Money. It's the same guy. Yeah. He went and sold his land, pretended right. to take off, then went back and tried to milk Plainview for more money by soliciting donations for the church. And I like that theory. It's just I, I saw the movie the five times, time and I'm like, I am it. I that dumb? Did I miss this? <laughs> no, the the very first time I saw it, I thought exactly that. And then I've 
you're absolutely right. I've gone back and forth and back and forth. And the last time that I watched it, which was when we first talked about doing this episode like a month ago, yeah. Um, I, I can't. I, I decided it's just easier for my brain if I think it's two people, two people. Okay. you know. Okay. But but it would. Who cares? Because <laughs> like, it's amazing, you know. Either way, do you like Paul Dano's character? No. I like that story. I like I that you up- don't like him, though. No, I grew up in... Okay, <laughs> no, I I grew up in a Christian home. I identified with, like, the charlatanism that he just completely capitalized on. Mm-hmm. Like, I hated him, but I was like, yes, this is everything I wanted in a movie. Yeah. No one puts this character in a movie in America and just is like... Yeah. This yeah. is what this is how this kind of Christian... Because that's the kind of Christianity I was raised in, like... Oh yeah! Oh, geez. raising your hand, shaking in the air, healing people—like spirit of God in you. Did you have like good music at your church? Really? No, that, that makes it all worthwhile. Like I've had the opportunity with people that I work with to like hang out at some of the churches that do like the the wicked like organ music and like you get up and clap and dance. That's that's amazing. Well, everyone else feel, is having a good I time. I feel better but... when when I leave those. That's amazing. I would go to that that every week i wouldn't you know I, I would just go there to party right one point i would like to make and it's so consistent with Plainview's character when he first goes to see eli at the church yeah. one he doesn't sit down two he doesn't take his hat off three <laughs> after he's done he says to him that was one hell of a goddamn show and leaves <laughs> he's in church yeah one hell, hell of, of a, a goddamn God show yeah <laughs> Like, well, he's like met his match, but on the good side, but not on the good side. Yeah. Like he's yeah. selling this thing, like a different way of getting rich, right? Like and new new forms of creating a ridiculous amount of money, mm. as we've seen on that John Oliver clip of the Christian people, <laughs> yeah, who yeah, just yeah. fucking take listening. And I mean, it's a raffle. It's a tough. <laughs> it's a tough gig for Paul Dano because he's up against one of the most towering actors ever. But yeah. I do think he holds his own in the baptism scene when he starts slapping. Oh, oh that scene is fantastic! It's great. It's great. I remember. <laughs> There's a point where Daniel Lewis looks genuinely surprised. Mm. I think he broke character. There. He's like, "Holy, you just <laughs> yeah. slapped me! I, you can't do that." I remember seeing that film in the theater. And I had to pee so bad during that scene, and I was just doing everything I could to like cross my legs, and like I was totally, you know, I, you know, I was going blue in the face, just like I can't miss this because I'm just so engrossed. I probably would have been the kid from Magnolia in this in this movie theater, you know, yeah. if it had gone on for like two more minutes. As soon as that scene cut away, I was bolting for the doors. Yeah, but yeah. I was so taken in that moment. I'm like, I can't miss this. No, no, that's one of the big set pieces, along from. Along with the oil derrick exploding, mm-hmm. that's another major, major scene. The rest of it just seems to be like vignettes. Yeah. Except, well, except for the ending, obviously. Yeah. The bowling alley. Which is amazing. And I love that he still sleeps on the floor. Yeah. Having got all that he's got, <laughs> mm-hmm. he still sleeps on the floor like a drunken whiskey homeless man. You know, like, it's yeah. hilarious. Now, it's funny um, that the two films that we've selected, it's it's very rare that our opinions on the show mirror the opinions of of you know the masses okay in all seriousness um just to go through it here rotten tomatoes boogie nights 92 percent. there will be blood 91 wow okay slightly inferior like it, you just said yes <laughs> nice it's like slightly inferior well you said like um, it's a very very very, very close, close second, second. Yeah. i saw boogie nights first so i have a like when i was younger i have a more emotional attachment to it yep. but imdb the people's number Oh, per se, and and because I I didn't look up the uh, 
the the um the viewer rating on rotten tomatoes so it could support your point but who cares um we 8.1 for there will be blood 7.9 for boogie nights <sighs> wow i know right and and then uh metacritic which i often complain about metacritic that i only like to wa- read the reviews i don't care about the score but we always quote the score because sometimes it does shock when you hear something that is over 50 amazing <laughs> um 85 for boogie nights and uh and 92 for Whoa. there will be blood which is amazing star wars has 92 the original a new hope has 92 on metacritic so there will be blood and it's and i equal gr- i agree with that <laughs> yeah. i totally do i enjoy you know <laughs> oh man i'm gonna get way. just i'm gonna get destroyed on the internet there's just gonna be a hundred like at at Br- not brandon fleet on twitter just you know like fuck you star wars is better better oh my god no it's the other way around <laughs> yeah well, no, because all the Paul you, Thomas Stones. Anderson fans are just like, I should really email that guy or, or twi- you know, like tweet not that guy. T- but then, yeah, they'll just be like, eh. And no, uh, I'm just going to do something else. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this, guy very, is, uh... this guy's insignificant. So your favorite, Brandon, is There Will Be Blood? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so we've talked about our favorites. Um, Devin, wh- how are we running on time? I wouldn't mind taking a little break. If you guys yeah, I got to urinate. Okay. So let's take a little break. We'll, we'll have- come back. And uh, we'll go through some of the other films because obviously somewhere in there we're going to have our least favorite. Yep. And um, and and we'll also just uh, knock down some of some of the things that we like about the films, uh, the remaining films, and and also maybe get a little. I I, I kind of want to I want to pick your brains on some personal experiences with this uh, this particular filmmaker because I I think it could be interesting. It could be real real interesting. We'll be right back. Right, <laughs> show, please email us at show at moviesruinmylife.com or reach out to us on Twitter. And however you're taking part in this episode, please don't forget to leave comments, share, reach out to us so we can keep the conversation going. So we're back and... I'm really hoping that uh, when we go through least favorite, they're not all the same. I've just been sitting here in my head going like, please not all the same. Please not all the same. So um, let's go around again. Let's see if we can get in some different films. I'm assuming that no one's least favorite is There Will Be Blood, right? Because I know everyone else here is a Boogie Nights fan boy or girl, fangirl. You're all fangirls. Um. All right, so let's do let's let's start this off least favorite and why proper essay format each uh, each paragraph starting with first second third and uh, and subsequently or consequently as you stated previously Jessica uh, in the part that's not recorded yeah in the, no it's recorded <laughs> okay. so I'll make sure to put it in if I use this opening <laughs> okay cool who goes first let's go clockwise not starting at me so Jess. Jess. Least favorite PTA film. Okay, this is a weird opinion, but whatever. The only <laughs> the only two PTA films that I really love yeah. are There Will Be Blood and Boogie Nights. The rest kind of fall into like a bottom. Like there's no middle. Okay. Because I, st- I like to watch them still, but yeah. I don't like them. Like they're so engrossing and then I just kind of, the film's over and I'm like, what the hell? I feel okay. cheated. I feel cheated. 
by the rest of his movies. So can you single out one, or are they are they are they just all blend? I think that much? probably Master was like so disappointing. I was so excited because I was I'm older now, I guess, yeah. and I got into PTA kind of late, mm-hmm. and I was just like, yeah, I'm looking forward to a movie by a director who I like yeah, yeah, somewhat, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then. I just thought he was trying to do something without doing anything. I don't know. There's a Roger Ebert quote about that movie. Mm. And it said it was like grasping for air, but then not even grabbing onto anything. And then not even knowing why you're not grabbing onto anything. Yeah, the quote is when I reach for it, my hand closes on air. On air. But but then it doesn't know why. Right, right, yeah. Either, and it can't explain. So probably, I guess, The Master would be my least favorite. Yeah. You just Um, feel the execution just fails or you don't? you don't like the story or i don't what? like i i understand if he wants to have like some mystery over is this a dream whose point of view is this from mm-hmm. um but i don't know i just i didn't like any characters like none of them like we're all saying we're all rooting for like the bad people or you and you end up liking like someone who's really really bad because of something that they did that was good yeah but none of them Okay. Well, I'm going to come back and try and change your mind a little bit. Okay. Because I don't, com- uh, you know, it's not at the top for me, but I do like the film. Um, particularly Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance. I think it's it's fantastic. Oh, I fantastic also, performances. Yeah. It's nothing to do with, yeah, like, and, the and, actors yeah, themselves. Yeah, and, like, Joaquin Phoenix again. And, and it's something that, that uh, we haven't even touched on. And I reference Spielberg. And, and when I reference Spielberg all the time, I always say that he is a director that elevates actors' performances. Um and same with Tarantino, and same with Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, a lot of his pool of actors, mm-hmm. um, like we talked about with Julianne Moore, are very much kind of the best, or s- the majority of strong performances that they have in their career, or s- the strongest performances of, are um, very much in his films, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's very... Uh, it's very interesting that, like you said, you like the the characters, and you like the portrayal of those characters. But it's just, the whole thing. Like it's didn't it's come good actors acting really well, saying dialogue that I think is even still pretty strong. Yeah, beautifully shot, but then it just doesn't. Yeah, it is beautiful, I isn't it? Feel mm. nothing. I yeah. feel nothing. Mm. I guess that's how I view any art. Like, no, no, no. Do I, I, I feel anything? Agree. And then it's just either off or on. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I 100% agree with you. I couldn't. I 100% agree with you. And then the sentence I was going to say thereafter was, I couldn't agree with you more. (laughs) (laughs) By my 100% certification, I could not agree with you more. Um, But I just feel, I I actually feel there is some really, really interesting stuff uh, from the perspective of just, this is an art, this this is art. I'm supposed to absorb it and feel something. I'm, I'm on board with you. Danny, what's your uh, what's your least favorite? Least favorite. Let's see. Uh, well, when I first saw The Master, I would have said The Master because when I first saw it, I was so disappointed. It seemed like a movie made up of cutscenes. Yeah, it was like it was every scene was just see the only scene that I didn't like was the I walking. Thought was that fucking the, walking back and forth in the, the scene that oh yeah get, felt like fifteen minutes long, but yeah, maybe yeah. wasn't. And mm-hmm. I agree that the characters are unlikable. Although I do like Freddy, and I sympathize with him because I know he has post traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, and obviously a severe drinking problem. Mm-hmm. And I did think it was funny when he gets hammered, asks the girl from the department store out, and it cuts. They're at the restaurant. And he's fast asleep. 
Would you? That's their date. Danny, would you feel um, upset if I stated right now that I um, I related to uh, the Freddy character because of my relationship with you? No, not because at all. Because of my friendship with you? No, I related Be- to him in a big way. Yeah. Particularly, uh... I, I never thought that you would, for example, do the thing with the light. Mm-hmm. On the guy at the camera store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so aggressive. <laughs> Which is amazing. Yeah. But I do remember, well, just as a, as, a, as a side note into a story, I remember when we were playing in Ithaca once, you left your shoes in, in someone's house, mm-hmm. and, and like we had to go and get you some slippers, and you wore slippers for the rest of the tour. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. you came home in slippers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember that. Absolutely. Which was amazing. And... We both have a tendency to just um, mid conversation with people, particularly strangers, just kind of turn around and walk away. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So, yeah, it's it's weird when I when I as I'm introduced and 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 uh, uh, familiarized with the uh, character of Freddie on screen, I I almost was I found a piece of myself in it, and I found a piece of my good friend Danny in it. You know, and it's so interesting that. Maybe I was seeking a little bit hard because I think there is a lot of validity, validity, (laughs) validity in your point, Jess. But um, I did, I did find a lot of things that I emotionally connected with, which we'll get back to. Yeah, I think um, you haven't even said what I liked. I'm getting there, but like what I liked about Freddie is he's obviously attracted to the cause because it provides him with the structure he had in the army back when he felt he had purpose. And he's very much like a child in that way. They, you know, children thrive in a structured environment you know right so uh, even though he's wild and reckless a lot of him seeks that kind of mm-hmm. familial structure and what i loved was the last scene where he's talking to philip seymour hoffman and hoffman says if you can find a way to live without serving a master let us know because you would be the first person in the history of the world and the way that he says let us know it just sounds kind of almost begging mm-hmm. like he's looking for something. and everyone had does have a master if you think about it you know whether that's an actual human dictating your circumstances or food or drugs or you know and so i thought that really hit me the second time and i'm glad i watched it a second time otherwise i would have just kept hating the movie mm. but i don't blame anyone for hating it because it's such a fucking weird movie yeah but i do encourage people and again i, I maybe i'm a bit of an apologist for this film but um uh, I do encourage everyone to go back and see it uh, again because I know, for example, that you like Inherent Vice a mm-hmm. lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I we'll get into that. Cool. So yeah, least favorite would be uh, Magnolia with Punch Drunk Love a close second, but I won't get into Punch Drunk Love. I did not like Magnolia. It was like a fucking plate of nachos. You just don't know where to start. It's such a jumbled mess. And he was so ambitious with it. It's just maybe you'd have to live in the San Fernando Valley to understand. It was just. And as great as Philip Seymour Hoffman is in all of his movies, in Magnolia, he has his weakest role. He's yeah. kind of a sympathetic nurse character. And yeah. Just, uh, just atrocious. And that well, goddamn... Well, yeah, it seems, he seems like a waste, doesn't he? Yeah. Because you, you, you could have literally just gotten some person off the street to just smile and yeah. hold a phone to their head. Right. I would, yeah, like this is the part in that movie where you help to me someone. out. I would have preferred to see him as the uh, either Philip Baker Hall's role or the Tom Cruise role. But, yeah, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't not, see him in the Tom Cruise role, no. Well, it's something, there's something adorable about him being a pickup artist. But yeah, Magnolia just, that once everybody started singing, I was just like, oh my god, this movie has officially jumped the shark for me. And I've seen it twice and I 
just I can't get into it. So for me, it's Magnolia all the way. The worst. All right, Devin, what about you? <laughs> you didn't even you didn't even talk about the raining frogs, man. Oh, the awful. Jesus. How, like, I, I know that that maybe it seems very obvious, but come on. Like, biblical, I don't know what the hell he was trying to do. Yeah. How could you compare something you don't like to a plate of nachos? <laughs> I'm, I'm still having that comparison that. is like when when you first get a plate of nachos if, at least for me it's an existential moment which nacho do i pick first because the whole thing's covered in cheese where do i start the whole thing's a mess where do i begin that's sort of what my approach to magnolia is this messy plate of nachos You're overstimulated yeah there's too many things yeah too much going on yeah I am, I am probably Magnolia for me, too. I mean, again, like, I, I didn't really participate in this episode too much because I haven't seen a whole lot of his stuff. I, I actually haven't seen There Will Be Blood. It's it's ridiculous. Oh, dude, I, you have I to know. see that film. I know. I can't wait. <laughs> now, Magnolia, I don't think I've ever made it through. I've watched, mm. oh, um, yeah. like, <laughs> a half hour, 40 minutes here or there and just always just Fell given asleep. Up. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I I I don't know. I see. I again. I'm an apologist for this film, mm. but like we talked about before we started recording, I truly believe that that film takes two or three watchings. Particularly, I would say three, um, because you you have this this path that you can you can you can follow on, on the first view. You obviously will connect with probably one character in all seriousness and then you will you know again you can follow another story arc the second time and you can almost then pick them apart and 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 imagine essentially this long movie as three separate films Mm. with three characters that you have chosen handpicked to that you really enjoy and i think that that's a that's the way you kind of have to observe it because it's it's it you're absolutely right Devin. it's it's overwhelming you it's like what we talked about in the Star Wars episode. Like you can't observe a six-hour film, or in this case, a what is it, a four-hour film? Close. To yeah. That. So you need some bathroom breaks and intermission. Maybe have a quick meal, come back. But yeah, it's it's a hard one. It, it it's it's rewarding though. I don't I don't necessarily agree with you. I'm curious. You brought up Punch Drunk Love as one of your least favorites, and this is something mm. that I hear commonly, and I don't agree with this at all. But I'd like to hear your view on that, Danny, if you don't mind. Well, I like the fact that he tried to do a romantic comedy and he tried to do a 90-minute film. Uh, but I guess the plot was just – it was so convoluted and similar to some of his other stuff that I feel like uh, the plot was like a classic three-hour PTA movie somehow jammed into 90 minutes. And it was just – uh, it was hard to like Sandler's character too, and yeah, I don't know. It's just a tough one in his catalog, in, well, in his filmography. It's interesting because you brought up the thing with Tarantino earlier, and you said that you know a lot of people don't understand like Paul Thomas Anderson is the better filmmaker, mm. and why he isn't uh, making the better films. Tarantino's making the better films, a lot of people's opinion, or at least that's the quote you were yeah. citing. Yeah, yeah. But um, Punch Drunk Love for me is in a lot of ways the closest that Paul Thomas Anderson gets to a Tarantino film uh, in this, in, in not in, in obviously the story, but in the fact that your main character is essentially a man boy, like a man child, you know, this um, he's having temper tantrums. He's uh, emotionally unstable. He's, he's, he's stolen the, what's the little organ called? I can't think. It's embarrassing that I can't think of what the it's, hell it is. I barely it's remember the plot of this one. Yeah. He gets caught up in a, what, pudding 
No, no. The, he is like a pudding magnet. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah, you should rewatch it because it's fun. So yes. you've got this. You're you're following the exploits of this kind of this man child with anger issues, and and for once his his anger issues grant him focus in this. You know, essentially he he seeks companionship as his sisters are continuously telling him like you need to find a girl, you need to find a girl, um, and other things that they're telling him, and he um, seeks companionship on the sex line, which. <laughs> Now we have internet porn, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. in you know, two thousand two, yeah, but in two thousand two, there you know, you had to download that shit. It took time, <laughs> dial up. It's easier just to phone just someone like now. The truck crashing? What the hell is that? Is that an imagination? No, no, no. That's legit, and that's the first time you see that focus. Like to me, um, the the ang- so let's go back to just the, the Tarantino. My my point that you've got a character from a Tarantino film poorly portrayed in some regards mind you but also really a character that you can connect with by adam sandler um uh, you you have you have this this childish uh lifestyle very living in seclusion you know um and and this girl is now the one good thing in his life it's almost like young love but it's these two mature people much in the way that like rocky is you got these two 30 year olds and they say it but it's, mm-hmm. it's it, it feels like young love and then, and then you have this other part of this world where you've got you know D and D mattress man uh, extorting people, mm-hmm. and I love that scene at the end where he walks all the fucking way to the store with the phone in his hand, mm-hmm. still like leaves the uh, the hospital and still has the phone in his hand and walks all the way there. All of that to me seems like something out of a Tarantino film, just like this laser focus, anger focused, you know, like walk across a fucking state. To just just to say something to someone, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, that's true. That's a good and point. and like yeah. when he gets to the car, when the car, uh, he, the truck hits the car, and he he fucking gets out and just like flips the what is it? Is it a tire iron or is it a? I think it's a tire iron. Um, in any case, uh, and he just like beats the shit out of these three guys, and uh, you know he's got this superhero moment, mm-hmm. and then he just goes back to me like, okay, we got to get you to the hospital. You know, these are all very much things that you would see in, I, I don't know, a completely different film. And, and people forget about all of that stuff and they just think, oh, this is a shitty love story. But right, it's not. Right, it's not right. a shitty love story. The pudding thing is amazing. The pudding thing is great. Just I, I, I love that, it, you know, there's there's 10 minutes of dialogue. Again, very much like a Tarantino movie where it's just like, hey, I've figured out a way to scam healthy choice. Mm. And I realize it's a really interesting way of putting product placement in a film. But like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, you just you figured out a way to screw over air miles and healthy choice. And that that just seems like casual dialogue. Again, Luis Guzman is, is amazing in this. Just this uh, super high strung colleague of Sandler who just for no apparent reason is just unquestioningly loyal to him. There's just so many interesting things about this film. I, I don't think that it's the mess that a lot of people remember it as just because you have this one sterile kiss and Adam Sandler running through a ho- or through an apartment for, kiss, for yeah. 15 minutes with a fucking organ, yeah. you know, or whatever it is. I can't think of what the hell it's called, which is embarrassing, but I think that movie has some good moments in it. Whereas I kind of agree with you, Magnolia takes like 15 watches to yeah. to appreciate it. So maybe and you the viewers make it were hung watches. over from Magnolia and transferred some of the messiness of that film onto Punch yeah, Drunk. Especially. I need to rewatch it. I only ever watched it with you, Jess. Yeah. Which? You and I watched Punch, Punch Drunk, Drunk Love. Yeah. And and I Sandler can do angry. To Magn- he was like, "Oh shit, so yeah. many people hated yeah, Magnolia." Yeah, it's the shortest. I'm just it's... gonna make the opposite. Yeah. Right. He told the press, "I'm going to make a 90 minute film, and I'm gonna make it with Adam Sandler." And it's linear. 
you know, completely. Yes. yes. You know. Absolutely. I mean, so. there will be bloods linear too. Yes. And what you said about music. Different. Like, yeah. Oh. He's like, oh shit, this is a gimmick. Yeah. I have to stop. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's very stark. And and like we already alluded to, the, there's so many scenes that are like quintessential Paul Thomas Anderson lighting techniques. And um, one other thing I want to talk about and before uh, I tell you my least favorite, because I've already been talking for so long, so I'll, I'll be short, but... I love the way that he frames conversations, by the way. I wanted to talk about that. He, I always feel so um, in on the conversation with people. like, And it starts right with uh, Heart 8, the very oh, yeah. first conversation at the table. You're looking eye to eye with those people. Yeah. You're not... There's no glorification. Like, we have these despicable characters, and we're going to follow them through their, their journey. Like, you know, that's a noir in Heart 8, mm-hmm. uh, mar- modern noir. You know, even with Boogie Nights and so forth, you, you have these characters that essentially are... Th- you're examining the humanity of people that are kind of on the outskirts of, of traditional society. And, um, and I love the fact that there's no glorification, and especially in those those conversational moments you have this very like you're you're on the same playing field you're not this isn't a hero that you're looking at and i love that yeah absolutely no glorification at all i mean boogie nights ends with that cock because pta wanted to (laughs) he wanted to show the opposite of what a porno movie does which is the guy ejaculating on usually a girl's face he wanted to show the dick that had been talked about for two and a half hours and when you see it it's kind of gross it's uncircumcised and it's like gray somehow Mm-hmm. And you're just like, that's it? And it's limp. Yeah, limp as hell. Yeah, And he's trying to get it going. <laughs> and then, yeah, the conversation in the master when uh, jo- Joaquin Phoenix... Joaquin Phoenix is being audited <laughs> by Hoffman. Joaquin. When he tells him not to blank. I mean, you're there. Yeah, the yeah, room, yeah. Right? So. so, yeah, who, what are we doing? Worst? I guess, least yeah, favorite? Yeah, I, I got to nominate a least favorite. And, and you guys are probably going to not like this, but... I think uh, Inherent Vice is... Uh, no. Yeah. I didn't like that one either, but no. I don't have an emotional connect. Like, yeah. I don't know. And Master my, disappointed me so much. Here's my problem. Right, right. I, I felt, like I said to you before, this is this is the cold... Much like I felt about the uh, On the Road um, adaptation. Oh, God. I, I thought it was all right, but... <laughs> and I thought that, that, that this film was considerably better. Although, you should check out the... Um, the um, What's... what's uh, um, Kerouac's next book. I can't. Why? why I can't think of it. Dharma Bums. Or no, the no, no. Subterranean. No, 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 no. Oh fuck! Then I'm way, I'm way off. What's the one that he went on? Big Sur. He went on a talk Big show. Was, he told me this story years ago. Yeah, yeah. And was reading Big Sur, and they, they're like, read, read your, read your new book on the road. He's just reading excerpts from Big Sur. You, yeah. You're, <laughs> but yeah, um, I think Big Sur is an interesting film adaptation. I think they do the job a little bit better. I'd you should like check to that out. That. Yeah, you should check yeah. it out. It's good. Um, but yeah, my problem with. In, in the case of both of these book adaptations into film, is it's both books that, that shaped me at a young age. Yeah. Or, sorry, shaped me at a young age in On the Road and then shaped me as an adult in a lot of ways um, with uh, Inherent Vice. Mm. You know, we had just gotten back from tour uh, yeah. and we'd been on the road for like two months and I read Inherent Vice and that was like me getting grounded at home again. And so I have so much emotional connection to the book. And so I think I'm somewhat biased in that regard. Mm-hmm. But um, <clears throat> this this movie is an absolute, like, Cole's note. Just, like, we, we've, we've got, like, you know, so much content in here. What can we just bang out and, and like, get the point across? I don't like Sword of Liege as the narrator. 
I do, you know, I think it's effective. Jonah Newsom, yeah. yeah but yeah. I, I don't like that they literally rip the lines out of the book. Yes, they're fucking beautiful. They're some of the most brilliant um, construction of language. Um, not in his work, but <laughs> but if you compare it to someone else's work, yeah. then you know it's um, you know it's beautiful. Every character that you know and love from that book, if you read the book, which you assume is his target audience in large part, um, is underdeveloped, unfortunately. Like, you have Benicio Del Toro playing Sancho, and you have two good <laughs> scenes with Sancho. You have, uh, I already talked about my complaints with Adrian Prussia. Yeah. Did Paul Tom, or sorry, did, um, did, did the Hoff, did the real Hoff, Philip Seymour Hoffman, did he, uh, had he already passed away? Yes, he had. Unfortunately, yeah. before filming started. I asked Devin before movie. this, and I wanted him to be Adrian Prussia. When they announced that he, that, that, uh, that uh, PTA was taking this project on. Yeah. I didn't think of any other actor. All I thought was Adrian Prussia. It's the Hoff. Right, right. <laughs> it's the real Hoff. Yeah, that's too bad. But um, because I just wanted to see him take a bat to somebody's head in a flashback or something. Like <laughs> but, you know, again, that's just my love for Philip Seymour Hoffman. And, and like, I just wanting to see him do terrible things to people for some reason. Like, I want to see this genuinely nice man do horrible things to people. I love that for some reason. Um, but in any case, yeah, it's it's just a film that I can tell is a passion project. Yeah. It's it's visually amazing stunning yeah i think yeah. that some of the casting is super on point and some of the casting is not i don't particularly like joaquin phoenix as doc because i've read the book yeah if i hadn't read it the book i would love the casting oh, i haven't read the book and i was like he's so cool well but he was like one of the only, yeah yeah so a swarthier guy but i yeah i expected short and stocky and and thick because he's described there's this whole flashback sequence in the book where they described that he's from lemuria and that he's he's traveled forward in time and his name was like kusakug or some bullshit like that mm. and uh that like he um essentially uh is is denser shorter but denser than most humans uh as a, he's shorter because they're not as developmentally far along and then he's denser because of the time travel or something like that so he can walk through walls or like drywall he can just walk through it without much pain and things like without that much pain yeah much pain yeah and just shit like that and and, and all of that stuff is, is just so cool and obviously you can never express that on screen but i just i would have liked a, a character who was a little bit more of a reluctant hero like yeah okay he had mutton chops but like you he know. does save the day, sort of, by getting Cody or Corey <clears throat> out of the organization and back with his family. Yeah, and also the f- um, no, you're, uh, you're talking about uh, Coy, uh, Coy Harlingen. Yeah, yeah Coy yeah. Harlingen. Yeah. yeah, I liked Owen Wilson as Coy. Me too. Yeah, very Me good too. casting. Um, I also um, I didn't like what they did with Mickey Wolfman. I wanted the FBI to be involved. In, I loved in, that. You, I loved. I loved that. it in the book. I didn't like what they did in the film. You like the simplification? Um, I just like the scene in the mental institution when he's like, "They're locking me up here because I want to give away all my money." <laughs> yeah, but we, he never should have been there. And again, I'm 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 hanging yeah. on the book, and it's it's fucking with my head because I can't tell if it's a good movie or not. Because again, I I love the book so much. Yeah, but it's just there seems to be. If I'm just examining the movie, there's too many holes. Like, okay, so why do I need to? Why do you need to introduce Jade at all? Like, why right, do I need to see the right, Poseidon right. special just so that I can have a laugh? Just so it like, can reference an... the book. Yeah, well, because like, you didn't. Okay. Need, all you all he had to do was pull up to that 
uh, to you know to the massage parlor. Have an amazing that that amazing shot that you just look off into the sand and you see the like the 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 kind of. Uh, what is it? Uh, Vigilant California kind of. That's one of the best in. shots in the movie. Yeah, it's beautiful. And, and then the right Johnny from there, Greenwood surf bang, soundtrack. Knock him out there. Yeah. Knock him out there. He never goes in, or even if he goes inside, it doesn't matter because they find him outside in front of the place anyway. Yeah. So just knock him out there. Don't introduce these two other characters that you don't need if you're not going to really introduce her pimp. And like he, it seemed as though Paul Thomas Anderson has the same problem that I have with his own film in the writing process, and that like he's looking at the book and going. Oh, I love this character. I have to get him in, but I can't do that much with them, you know. So well, I love Jade. With... I love uh, Adrian Prussia. I love um, what's Keith Jardine's uh, character's name in the actual book. I can't think of it. Um, he's the one who ends up uh, fucking up his girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is so sad because Doc is like crazy about her, right? But there are not parts. Hit, not, uh, there are jokes in the movie that don't need to be there, but yeah. do enhance. Like okay, so Martin Short's dentist when he comes along yeah, for the ride and he's yeah. all coked out, and his roommate. But that like, scene is so away. memorable. His in roommate's the book. like, "What are you putting under Doc's? Uh, what are you putting under Doc's car seat?" And he's like, "Pay no attention to that bag. It'll just make everybody paranoid." <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. The bag doesn't stick around. It doesn't need to be in there. But like, okay, I well, agree the, with you. And does he turn um, up dead? Yeah, on a trampoline. Yes. But does he turn up dead in the movie? No, we see him. No. It's off screen. Yeah, it's off screen. Doesn't matter. Any, so so like, it's hard. It's I think hard. that I'm Thomas being really prejudiced. The book is actually really sad because it's about the death of the hippie dream. Absolutely. Living in California in the 60s, they felt like they were on the cusp of some massive cultural shift, and everybody sold out and got jobs and became like Jerry Rubin, successful businessmen, and turned mm-hmm. their backs on that. And what Pynchon's concerned with is were those people like that? even back then. Mm-hmm. So the line does make it into the movie, the phenomenon of cops posing as hippies and infiltrating hippie yes. circles and smoking. Weed. I like that, actually. And I like that getting The out. line is, were they there all along, these dark crews, you know, mm-hmm. sweeping up all the love, all the magic, all for the ancient forces of greed and fear. Yes. And that's like, the heart of the book is that sadness of the lost dream of the 60s. Yeah, and, same with the character, um, um, the uh, uh, black... Uh, Gorilla, uh, the Black Panther guy. Yeah, but what's the name of the like oh, the fake equivalent yeah, the in the fake book? Equi- yeah, yeah, like his his story about getting out of jail in his old neighborhood is just gone. Yeah, and I love that that's in the film, and I also love right. that that's Omar from The Wire. I yeah. can't think of the actor's name. He's amazing. He's so good. Why he has a cameo in the Hulk is embarrassing. So, like, the scene in the dentist's office with Martin Short when... Give him a role. Uh, Make him the Hulk. Who cares? When they're huffing the cocaine. anyway. They're huffing the oh, cocaine. And Martin Short, you know, yanks his pants down and runs into the other room. It's Hollywood. Let's be <laughs> Sorry, I had to say that. He's green anyway. Okay. So, like, the scene where Martin Short runs into the other room and yanks his pants down because he's all coked out and wants to bang his secretary. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then Doc goes into another room and it's, like, all these people getting dental work done and the music gets really scary. Mm-hmm. That tonal shift is uh, authentic to the pension experience yes. where one moment it's funny, the next moment you're fearing for someone's life. And also that scene you mentioned at the desert trailer yeah, when that amazing surf song plays and he looks behind him and that they're coming yes and you just get this sense that anything could fucking happen yes and it's going to be bad that to me is the best part of the movie the that best trailer part. scene it's the i remember best, feeling best when i felt film. in the theater like what the fuck is going i always on remember here? that scene like yeah. you could have ended the film there and just and perfect the way they're encroaching coming up <laughs> it's the, right at the beginning the dust storm coming yeah. toward the it's just like what the fuck is this it's mm. a, it's staggeringly beautiful and visually. it's interesting because that you don't get that experience in the book 
No. You just get someone clubbing him in the head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then it moves along. Yeah. Um, so, ultimately, it's a it's noble that, failure. But I feel like Pinchon or Pinchon. He would be he would be very happy with it. Don't, with get, it. don't get me wrong. You know, I, I respect the film. I've watched that film at least a half dozen times, probably more I've in all seriousness. Five. I've seen it five times. Yeah. <laughs> and and this is a film that I'm complaining about. This is a film that I'm complaining about. I'm yeah, saying yeah. it's my least favorite of PTAs and I've watched it at least a half dozen times. Wow. Um, you know, I realize I'm really nitpicking. It's just, if I'm looking at it as just a film, there's not a cohesive enough story there um, for me to lock the average audience, you know, and, and, when you make a film, well, when you make a, a crime drama that is not approachable to the audience, that it's in, you know maybe would initially be attracted to it, you know people who are are diehards up pension, mm-hmm. um, and 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 also not really approachable to the everyday market. I just don't understand the purpose of it. I understand right. that it is totally it's a passion project. Fence. It's just like... It hey. doesn't go all the way into the pension universe. Yeah. Neither does it go all the way into what it was sold as. It was marketed as like a successor to the Big Lebowski. A exactly. stoner, a friendly yeah. stoner film. Yeah. And it was funny at points, mm. especially when Bigfoot's sucking on that banana. Yeah. And what you said Phoenix about the funny points was like they were there for the trailer to sell it. Exactly. That's... It, it, and 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 they picked like the only comedic yeah they picked comedic some of moments. the yeah they like, picked we need some like of the six most of them yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 all of them but yeah and then cool mean, shots of Joaquin walking well, yeah like the funny parts that Bigfoot's Josh Berlin character is responsible for do you remember the part where um, Benicio del Toro comes to the jail to get Doc out yeah and, and Bigfoot says uh, we're gonna kick him which means release him and yeah like, oh you're gonna kick him well that would be assault yes. And then Doc has to teach him about law. No, uh, kick means release me. Well, because he's a marine lawyer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I also don't. You're I, my lawyer. Okay. Lawyers get paid. Now, Doc. if you're gonna Lawyers do, get paid. Yeah. <laughs> now I know it isn't trailer bait, if you will. I love that. Yeah. I uh, if I know it isn't something that you jam in the trailer, but if you're gonna take a part out of the book that is hilarious and and also that friendly stoner vibe that you were talking about, why isn't uh, Sancho's character uh, mounting a lawsuit against? Um, is it is it Walt? No, it's uh, Warner Brothers, right? For um, oh, because people are tripping on LSD and seeing the cartoon characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there were, put yeah. some of that shit in there because it's it's conversationally, uh, you know, um, attractive in a way like a Tarantino is. Yeah, and there was I remember at the beginning of the book, there's a really slapstick part where Dennis, it's Dennis, but yeah, Dennis, yeah. Dennis uh, gets high, falls asleep, and accidentally lights his bed on fire. Mm-hmm. And his the people in the apartment above, so the fire burns a hole in the ceiling. Yeah, and it's sets, a water bed. The yeah, water bed yeah, yeah, above yeah. him on fire, and the water bed collapses and puts out the fire. Yeah, <laughs> he wakes up. Like that's funny. <laughs> yeah, why not put that in? Like yeah, if you're, and even even the fact that when when Doc gets all the heroin. From yeah. when Bigfoot puts it in his car. Yeah. <laughs> he t- yeah. In the book, he takes it home and puts it in a TV box. Mm. And, and all of, all of like, the, like Dennis and, all, and Jade and all of those characters, they're sitting around watching a box filled with heroin. Yeah. As if it's a real TV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, in any case, uh, you know, I, uh, it's still, like, we're, I, I'm knocking this movie. I'm complaining about it. And now I'm just talking about the book. We're all just talking <laughs> about the book. But... It's still, it's like better than, it's a better film than I could ever make. I think, yeah. it's, <laughs> like, I think it's, which isn't saying much. Sorry, Devin, yeah, it's it's natural to be disappointed by an adaptation. Though. Yes, I, mean, yes. I think that's well, always going to be the case. That's, but you brought I, up Fight Club. 
Most people saw the movie before the book, though. I preferred the book. Hmm, really? 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 Yeah. I prefer the 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 movie for sure. Yeah, me but, too. Wow. It was more. It was more of uh, the ending was more of a surprise, and it it um, I like. I almost I didn't. I liked making those characters myself. I love the way like Brad Pitt um, and um, and Norton both uh, were excellent in it. But I I thought it was fun making those characters myself. Like I kind of it, you know it took something away from it. Actually, you know. Seeing them personified, and again, you run into those those problems where it's like there's so many moments from the book that that will never make it in mm-hmm. that were some of the best, but they're just not, um, you know, if they can't be adapted as easily, then yeah. they they end up on the cutting room floor or not filmed whatsoever, and that's that's no, it's it's a it's case, a fa- it's know? a fair assessment. Like a, a good percentage of films coming out in Hollywood are at least adaptations of 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 books. You know, uh, Die Hard, Life of Pi, um, Train Spotting. Yeah, uh, well, Die and and Die Hard. Sorry, just popped in my head is uh, is an adaptation of, of a book that in the same series, Frank Sinatra's D- The Detective was mm-hmm. an adaptation from the same series. So if you put it in that context, uh. Um, Bruce Willis is reprising the role of Frank, Frank Sinatra, Sinatra in The Detective. Is, is Frank Sinatra's <laughs> character named John McClane? No, because oh. that's not from the book either. <laughs> oh, okay. And oh, it's not the Nakatomi Tower. It's something else that sounds very American name. Yeah, I read the fight and book his daughter after, as well in and the book. In the book, Tyler Durden's not attractive, and he gets no. a hole punched in his cheek at one point and has to yeah. drink his coffee, plugging his face, mm-hmm. which I found yeah. kind of funny. Mm-hmm. They should have done that. Yeah. Even with Brad Pitt. Put a hole in his face. Yeah. Why not? All right. Well, yeah. Um, where are we here? Have we we that, we we pretty much talked about all of them. Yeah. So, I just wanted to point out the the Frank Sinatra original. That's where they got the line "Yippee ki Yippee ki motherfucker." motherfucker. That yes, was where it yes, came of from. course. Oh, yes. I did not know that. Does he <laughs> sing it? <laughs> Yippee ki motherfucker. In the wee small hours, motherfucker. <laughs> all right. Hey everyone, next week on Movies Ruined My Life, it's our episode on Evil Dead. Uh, We had a lot of fun having this conversation. It's actually from October of last year, uh, and we're really excited for you to finally hear it. Likes things about men and men things, yeah. I get, okay, I prefer Tarantino if you guys are going to compare them a lot as like auteurs and... Yeah. Like having... Their mm-hmm. own crew all the time. Yeah, I get. I I understand the PTA is a better filmmaker. But yeah, just doesn't quite get there. Like Tarantino does. Like I don't. I just don't love his movies as much. But I still have to watch them. Yeah, yeah. Because like you, you said, like I like things that are more visceral, and mm. his films are very cerebral. But I yeah. maybe that's a lady thing. I don't know. Mm. But. They're still completely engrossing, and there's still a, a universe of their own. I don't know. I guess for There Will Be Blood, there was more personal because of my upbringing again. And yeah. I mm-hmm. was starting to detest capitalism as a young punk rocker in the <laughs> suburbs. Because <laughs> that's where I watched that movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I actually want to pick up on that, about people's opinion on mm-hmm. on. Paul Thomas Anderson here. I I don't think he's a weird filmmaker. I think he makes films. Mm. I expressed that before. I think he just makes movies. 
yes, he's the master is definitely, and uh, and I agree with you. There's some moments that, uh, um, well, the, the the film is kind of it's not what you expect. That's that's absolutely certain. But it's still a wonderful character study. And there's technically two. Both male leads have uh, are, are are wonderful. Also, because you're a Jurassic Park fan, it's nice to see um, uh, Doctor Sadler. Mm. Laura Dern's in it. She, oh she yeah, owns the yeah, house. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, <clears throat> so I'm like, yes. <laughs> I totally forgot, and then I rewatched it. Yeah, yeah she has that small scene, right? Yeah. Right. And then yeah, and then she gets very upset when she. I was feels pissed at how taken. short that little confrontation was. Yeah. Yeah. And then it just went away. Yeah. Right. right. It just shows how little tolerance he had for criticism, but also the fact that he was making it up as he goes along, like mm-hmm. his son said in the yeah. movie. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's so cool. But yeah, I don't. I don't think that he's he's a weird filmmaker. I. I and, and moreover, I don't think that he's like a punk rock filmmaker either. I, I think that he's just a, a good filmmaker that's just making the movies that that. I don't think he's weird. That, I think people think he's weird. Yeah, which bothers me. Well, in terms of the Hollywood director, yeah, he's certainly weird. I mean, his most straightforward Why? film is his first one. Well, just to have the uh, the nerve, and I mean that in a good way, to have the raining frogs in Magnolia, or uh, uh, particularly his last two movies, which are very dreamlike and hazy, and it's hard to tell what's a dream and what's not. I mean, in The Master, when... Freddie receives that phone call in the movie theater. I'm pretty sure that's a that's dream. That's 100% a dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But why would he go to England then if it is a dream? You know what I mean? They're just really... I don't know. It's... Well, he's not showing you like their correspondence outside no. of that. Right. No. They're just really offbeat films, particularly The Master, which seems like it's comprised of alternate takes and scenes that other directors would leave on the cutting room floor. Yeah. I think that's what he said. It kind of ended up being in the editing... <clears throat> In the editing room. Oh, like, really? It yeah. was a patchwork. Wow. It, yeah. Which is cool, though, because, again, it just shows his craft and his skill uh, therein. Because he he can save a film mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that may be, mind you, okay, not your favorite, but um, still too, he can he can pull out two wonderful male performances. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't... I didn't feel that 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 the you know that the the family was overly compelling, but maybe that was just because of of what what he was selected and editing to run with. But yeah, you know, oh, if if he was Hoffman's family or yeah, master master's family, master's family. Yeah. Well, I mean, he uses very. Uh, he never goes for the easy laugh. He uses extremely obscure sources. I mean, Sinclair Lewis's Oil is a 1928 book. There will be blood that line about i drink your milkshake Mm -hmm. he took that from a court transcript from a california case in which one guy was accusing another of stealing his oil and the lawyer said well if i have a milkshake and you have a milkshake i mean that is not the usual form of research just in terms of a hollywood director who will have a couple guys working with him to draft the final acceptable version of the script have it vetted by studio executives then go and make it and then Mm -hmm. film alternate endings anyway just in case the studio execs don't like it Mm -hmm. So, in terms of Hollywood, yeah, but if we're talking globally, you know, I'm sure the French think he's, yeah, just a mainstream filmmaker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a normal guy making normal movies yeah. about normal people. I think people try to insert more meaning than Anderson means to. Like yeah. People are just, because his movies are so weird and how, like, stark they are and... 
Well, they're definitely like, cerebral, but you know, I don't. But because I'm, they I are, like people are like, weird. "Ooh, what's going on? There must mm. be more beneath the surface." And he's yeah. like, "No, this is just a person." Yeah, and we're watching them make decisions. Like it's a story. Well, well and yeah, hang on. In all of his movies, except for Heart Eight, which is really straightforward, there's always a part where you don't really know what's happening. In Boogie Nights, yeah. in the shootout scene, yeah. for whatever reason, it it does a close up on Dirk Diggler for about thirty seconds. Yeah. Oh, As he's he just sitting this, on the couch and they're like thinking about the lighting changes. Yeah. Yeah. His facial expression changes to one of like bemusement and confusion and like. That's a really <laughs> odd. So weird. That's a really odd. <laughs> that's a really odd directorial choice because most viewers would get impatient. And go, yeah. Why is this happening in the middle of a shootout? Why are we have? Why do we have a close up on a, one of the leads? And I think he's just thinking about just the strangeness of the situation and how odd his life has become. But in all of his movies, there's a moment like that of uncertainty where you're just like. I don't know what that character's thinking, and I don't know what ultimate purpose this serves for the movie. But you still kind of like it, right? Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I um, <clears throat> I think that he is exceptional at the art of the character study, though, and that's that's why I say he's not that weird of a director because I still feel as though he's not doing. And I, I hate the comparison to Tarantino. I know we're 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 participating in this very thing that that I hate, but. I hate the comparison because um, while these are both directors that get uh, elevated performances out of their actors, no, no question. Some uh, uh, elevated, you know, good word, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I um, Tarantino's characters he, don't exist; yeah. they're not real people. Yeah, they're they're yeah, exactly. They're they're larger scale caricatures. Yeah. Of of you know a real world idea yeah and but sometimes just straight up archetypes yeah exactly but like Heart Eight for me I'm looking at both Sydney and I'm sorry I can't think of John I forgot C his name too yeah, I think John it C might Rally's be John in the film yes it is John it's yeah yeah it is yeah. John yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> that's not weird at all um, I heard an actor named John what's the name in the movie John. John. <laughs> Well, maybe, yeah, it is. I actually have it written down here. Yeah. John, John. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, you're, you're, it's a character study of those two people, how they, and almost this um, accidental, is know, it accidental? Bond. Well, it's perceived through three quarters of the film to be accidental, to be this, this um, eternal old man. Yeah, that just, you know, well, I see this guy down on his luck. You know, I'm a gambler. I'm showing him the ropes. Blah, but blah, I mean, blah. Does, do you think? Do but you think he knows who? He, no, John, John C. Reilly does not know. No, oh, no, yeah. no, no. Does Sid? Yes, yeah, Sydney, Sydney knows, knows Sydney who John knows is, who John and is. he's just like waiting for him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. Um, <clears throat> and Boogie Nights again. Multiple character studies there. Um, whether you're looking at you know a minor character like Cheadle, or you're looking at a, a you know uh, Burt Reynolds, or you're looking at. Um, William H Macy. <laughs> um, I forget him so much, and then I just remember that scene where he yeah. shoots his wife. Well, I, <laughs> I I always feel absolutely terrible every fucking time that she's just banging someone in front of like fifty oh, people. Marty. I also feel bad because it's just like we hired a porn star just so we could watch her get fucked on set. 
Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, although I'm sure she got a good paycheck out of it, and she does it anyway. So, you know, well, there's whatever. the line where William but. H. Macy says, my wife's got an ass in her cock, and that was a mistake. Yeah. But PTA <laughs> left it in because it shows how flustered he is. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. I don't want to talk about the lighting right now. My wife's got an ass in her cock. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, that, again, again, you have all these weird character choice. studies, though. It's my whole point. Yeah, they're, they're ultimately they're films very about human the characters. stories. Very and, human stories. Yeah, and, and, and to a certain extent, they're what-ifs. Same thing with everything in Magnolia. I don't want to go one by one through these. You have the first, that man-boy study that you have in Punch Drunk Love, um, and and this uh, mature woman looking for, you know, looking to essentially kind of settle for what's out there and find something better than that as a result. Yeah. Um, you know, the master, again, you have this almost like L. Ron Hubbard type character and then you have this uh alcoholic ptsd vet um a redemption sort of arc supposed to be supposed to be yeah. sydney's a straight up redemption yes whereas yeah the master never really gets going yeah <laughs> freddie never really takes i don't know i i still i still uh, connect with him i like i like the character and then inherent vice is the first one for me that that breaks that breaks that mold where he lost sight of the characters and how important his understanding of the human condition is to his films. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I made it earlier in all of these. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. No, 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 no. I agree with you. But in all of these movies, like I said, he's sympathizing (laughs) monsters like Sydney and Heart 8 and Boogie Nights. It's Jack. And then even all the way up to the master, it's both Freddy and the master himself. But yeah, in, in Inherent Vice, what the hell is the evil being humanized? Mm-hmm. What's the human? Where's Koi, the humanity? Koi period? Harlingen, maybe. Yeah, but even at that, you don't see that arc. Like y- you and I are both remembering the Koi arc from the book. Yeah, he's hardly in the movie. Right, right. Koi's, right. Koi's own. Oh, Wilson. Koi's own Wilson. But or, the wife. Sorry, the girl. Is, uh, the girl. Sortal, no, Sortalish is the narrator. Um, the um, wife has the, the wife dental implants. Even... Yeah. Uh, when Walking Phoenix screams at the kitchen. Are tape. you talking about the? <laughs> sorry, the. Uh... No, you're talking about the love inch, like the, the love main in, one. Yeah. Um, her name is, why can't I think of she it? She has a weird name, too. They all have weird names. Okay, so someone who didn't read um, the book, they all have weird names, and there's 900 of them. Yeah. And you're well, just that's, thrown that's into this situation. Chan. I know it is. Yeah, yeah, But like yeah, you yeah. said, it's not quite for people who love yeah. the book, because they'll be obviously be disappointed. Because and it's not for people that don't people know about the book either, the book. so I don't, I don't understand. There's no audience, and there's, no, there's, no, there's nothing there for Paul Thomas Anderson fans either, because I go in and I look for something that I can... Um, emotionally connect with. Uh, I look get for a character pretty good to, reviews to hang on. Out, yeah, but you if Inherent Vice humanizes anything, su- yeah. I guess it humanizes law enforcement in terms of Bigfoot's <laughs> character. That's about it. And that's a stretch. So yeah, it does yeah, break. Again, it, it does little... break with the ultimate yeah. theme of all of his movies up to this point. I wonder mm. what he'll do next. Does anybody know? Is he doing a? He's doing that, or he has out that uh, he has a documentary out. Is it Jun Jun? Jun Jun Jun. Yeah. Jun Dun. I haven't seen it yet. Oh what? I don't know. Johnny Greenwood. <laughs> Isn't it just about Johnny Greenwood? Is oh, it? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Johnny Greenwood made a solo album in India or something. Yeah, it's gonna yeah, be yeah. horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's he's... only fifty-four minutes. His shortest. Film. I was just oh, reading nice. the wiki quickly, how, how and I was like, "What the hell bring is this?" By now that he the collab. Um, yeah, but also, well, what do you mean by that? Uh, his recent collaboration with Johnny Greenwood, scoring his movies. Yes. Um, I was also going to go back to his music video days. Uh, and his, uh, you know, Fiona, Fiona Apple. Apple. Yeah. I didn't even, I'm too young for that. <laughs> I'm too young for that. No, 90s. it's fine. For that let's, 90s. Let's not get into it. Let's stay where we are. 
Anyone have any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Because this is this is a guy that clearly we can talk about for days, and our complaints seem very baseless, and our <laughs> you know our praise seems to come from every which direction. So, anyone have anything else they'd like to throw in before I you know before we call it a day? Also, there's a train passing, so email like the me. Last fifteen. Uh, final thought. There's um. Yeah. There's a, longest train ever. There's yeah. an interview on YouTube where PTA is like munching on pizza the whole time, talking about boogie nights, and he's talking about how you can learn a lot from someone from the way they have sex. Mm. And then he starts talking about how he'd like to see Forrest Gump have sex, not have a, any perverted desire, but just to see if he's tender or see if he's rough or see if he's incompetent. And uh, it's yeah, a really odd thing to say. But somehow he relates like that a press interview. No, this is from Boogie Nights era, and so that's why he's talking about yeah press interview. Sorry, I thought you meant present, but yeah, it's uh, he's talking. Come see my movie. I want to see how Forrest Gump would have sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but if they- you are also curious about this, you'll love Inherent Vice. <laughs> I think it explains why in Boogie Nights there's so much of the love making, and when it comes down to b- actual banging, it's usually unsuccessful and kind of gross. Mm. You know, the 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 eighties style of doing it right <laughs> uh, romeo liquor store reference in this podcast is not gonna fly no <laughs> doing it they wow. had a song called doing it yeah you can probably download it probably i remember <laughs> vaguely yeah. vaguely it was like biff naked meets danko jones God. and they covered the misfits and i thought it was an original and i thought it was their best song yeah 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 I was like, oh, Where He Goes There is their best song. No. I did that to a band once. They covered the Star Wars theme. I haven't seen Star Wars. <laughs> and I went up to them after. I'm like, that's the best song I've ever heard. And they're like, uh, it's, jo- are John you Williams? kidding? It's the, it's the Star Wars theme. And I'm like, oh, it's so much better than your other songs. <laughs> you have to announce it's a cover. Yeah, you really so do. that's so awful. Like, oh, your guy's best I re- song. Yeah. But best I really song love that second last one. Written. You get that all the time. <laughs> it's a Star Wars theme song. You don't have to Dude, announce my friend that. Stephon, yeah. Come on. My friend yeah. Stefan saw a band one time. They played a My Morning Jacket song. And he went up to them after and was like, man, I like the My Morning Jacket cover. And the guy said to them, oh, we usually don't tell people that's a cover. <laughs> what? what? We usually I try to usually steal other Not only music. that, but when they arrived at the venue, they changed out of their hoodies and put on collared flannel shirts before they went on stage. <laughs> oh, God. Why? <laughs> to appear more rootsy and country? Oh, of course, of course, yes. Yeah. Oh, this is, this is going to be released, so you should say the name of the band. I have no <laughs> idea what they're called, but yeah. they covered Dance Floors by My Morning Jacket, and they were, like, shocked that he recognized it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um I I Jess, okay. I, on the topic of Devonge. of um of uh PTA being weird, I think Boogie <laughs> Nights uh for that era was like one of the most normal movies. I don't know. I <laughs> yeah. thought it was yeah. it was so That's a like, great point. It was almost like um I was just thinking a, a minute ago about how how similar I find like the the mood and your connection to the characters and stuff like that being like a like a Goodfellas or Casino where it's like I don't like these people but I do like certain things about them. They're all trying to be such good people and it's very just straight. It's very just like here's the conversations these people are having. Here's the situations they're in. You 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 know here here it is with no um you know with no overarching like 
story or moral or theme. It's just yeah, general. Like, and and I, I love that so much. Yeah, like, that's so interesting too. It's likable people in an unlikable situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. But it does move a lot like Goodfellas, the narrative thrust, which is unlikable people doing unlikable things. Yeah. It is similar to Goodfellas, yeah. Something Do about they it, the all texture. end up happy? Almost all, all of them. Like, yeah, Bob. I don't think Philip... Uh, sorry, uh, I don't... Well, no, I don't think Philip Seymour Hoffman ends up happy because he doesn't get to do it with uh, Mark Wahlberg. No, no. <laughs> Uh, Bob's I, the only thing he wants. Bob gets his country store. I, I, I don't think that William H. Macy ends up happy. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from the ones that in are as much really as he in the shoots film himself lot, yeah. in the brain. <laughs> oh, God. I, you know. His pain is over. That, yeah. Yeah. Dirk Diggler's mother probably remains Jack's upset. not happy, but he's like, he's dealing with they're it. They're going, they're they're all going forward. No one's, he's aside got a, from the couple, like, he's more going minor direct characters. to video. I think he on, doesn't like that. On that same, he doesn't like that. Just Gonzo that, videos. That's all he's doing now. On that same comparison to Gonzo uh, is like porno with those stories. I know what Gonzo to, is. To I, just, and, uh, I assume that you're you're a sweet girl. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, on, on the on the comparison to Casino and Goodfellas as well, the way that you it, it's like you get to see these people at their highest point and their lowest point, kind of. You yes, know? exactly. You get to see them Maybe in that's their what most triumphant moment, and you also get to see them at like their absolute um, their lowest point, and it really, really like it it. Um, you know, it it, um, it exonerates them, and it gives you such like a deeper, um, you know, deeper understanding of who this person really is. Because again, you don't you don't just see them when they're doing bad things. You see them when they're when they're achieving, when they're they're yeah. doing everything that they want to. But you know, then the the situation kind of makes them this, um, you know, puts puts them in this position where where they. Um, you know, where where you, you you know you have to see them suffer and it, it's it's it gives you such a, a, a greater appreciation of each of the characters I think yeah yeah no you're you're absolutely it's right it's a good point one last thing what you were saying about porno there I love when they're doing the roller girl <laughs> when they're doing the roller girl thing in the limo and Jack Horner says we'll be making film history right here on videotape <laughs> 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 and he says it grudgingly because he yeah. hates videotape it's oh great. yeah <laughs> so good oh yeah one other thing okay he makes the movie with Chess Rockwell and Dirk Diggler's character forgot his name um, um, their first you keep saying Chess Rockwell one. Is John that C. John C. Reilly's character? I thought he was Reed Rothschild. He's Reed Rothschild, but he's Chest Rockwell in the in their, film. Oh, in the like, film, yes, yeah. yes, yes. When he yes. makes okay, that okay, movie, okay. when he makes that movie uh, in the editing room, he's like, "This is the film I want people to remember me by," <laughs> <laughs> and he's dead serious. <laughs> I love that air drop kick from like fifteen feet away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when Reed forward. Rothschild smashes somebody with a bottle, I think it's Louis Guzman. Well, yeah, they have he a gets, really, he really the, fast. He finally gets a scene in the movie. That's right. Yeah. They have a really fast no look high five. The yeah. two of them. Just <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> Oh, is, and isn't it fucked up with the bottle too, where he like smashes it and then he's just like standing there with the <laughs> yeah. that bottle? Yeah. That's that's so a good. that's a really really uh, just a, <laughs> amazing departure from like the scenes that preceded it and the scenes that came thereafter. Well, as Jack Horner would say, you have to keep them in their seats after they come. That's the challenge. <laughs> that's the challenge. <laughs> yeah. Jess, you want to take us home here before we wrap it up? You have any final thoughts? 
No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, That's uh, pressure. No. Well, it's been yeah, no, it's been a pleasure having you guys here. Even though we're doing this at night, and I'm wearing a sweater and a suit jacket, <laughs> and I'm burning. I'm wearing pajamas. I never got to sleep in. <laughs> in any case, uh, remember this is just the beginning of the conversation. We want to continue it on with you. So uh, please go to our website, uh, yell at us, tell us uh, what we got wrong, what what you think of these films. Obviously, it's something that we want to talk about with you. So um, send us a message on Twitter. Uh, I'm at not Brandon Fleet. Uh, Danny, you want to offer up your Twitter? I'm at Leafs Love Hurts. Uh, Devin? At YR underscore homeboy. Your homeboy. And we're going to make a Twitter for Jess. 75 of them. <laughs> they will all be here now. Um, if you're watching us on YouTube, uh, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, or your podcatcher of choice. Um, if you're listening to us, um, thank you. And uh, you can find us on YouTube. There's clips. There's uh, all, uh, there's also audio versions of the episodes. Um, and uh, more importantly, there's stuff coming uh, for next week's episode, probably as you're hearing this one. Um, so thank you for checking us out. However you did, please reach out to us. Please get in touch with us. Um, and uh, if you are listening to us on podcast, uh, thank you for taking us wherever you are with you. Um, Anything else, guys? Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for hanging out with us. Like how you said, urinate extra hard into the microphone. (laughs) I need to... Urinate. Yeah, I don't know why I said that. Sorry. Did you enjoy Drive, for example? Uh, the first scene is amazing. Yeah. The rest of the movie, no. Um, Just that song accompanying it, that he's a real hero. Yeah. I want to wipe my face with a cheese grater. I hate it. <laughs> well, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's I a, like that song. Real human well, being. I really like that song. <laughs> my point is just that if you enjoy the end of Drive, which you don't, so I guess it doesn't have much <laughs> argument. Um, you, if then, I know Fat Tony, which I don't. <laughs> <laughs>